Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. We're going to explore what it's like to start a business from scratch today. It's never easy, especially in a fast-growing, highly competitive market, IT services, huge market worldwide. Statista estimates the worldwide market value this year in excess of $1 trillion. And in an MSP resources report, just looking at the United States, about 130,000 companies that are specializing just in managed services alone. And within that, according to Channel E2E, fewer than 20,000 individuals have successfully run and started and grown their independent business. That means they're profitable and healthy. So it's not easy out there, but we're going to talk to someone today who has been very successful and, and his journey is very interesting. Tim Taylor is the founder and president of TaylorWorks, Inc., a leading managed service provider in Central Florida. For over 19 years, TaylorWorks has provided companies with proactive IT consulting and support services, and Tim has guided his company over the past couple of years through an amazing 300% growth rate. Wow. So really want to learn um, what has been the key for that growth. Tim sensed a need for a comprehensive book on starting a managed service practice, and he wrote How to Start and Run a Successful IT Company. So he's a proven author as well. And since Tim started out of the trunk of his car, we're going to talk about that in 1999, he knows what it takes to build a successful managed service company from scratch. You can find out more at timtaylorconsulting.com and all the way from beautiful, sunny Florida. Tim, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Hey, Dan, how are you? I am joined. Thank you for giving me the time today. Absolutely. So let's go back. Uh, so there's this operating out of the trunk of the car. You had this interesting midlife moment. We talked about, chatted a few weeks ago when we we're getting ready for the podcast. What catapulted you into this entrepreneurial path in this big competitive IT services space? Well, that's a good question. You know, I had always worked in IT. I, so I had plenty of background, but um, I was 40 years old. I had three kids. I had a mortgage. I had two car payments and I had $500 in the bank. And I had recently worked for the not in a nonprofit for like 13 years. I installed the first PC they ever bought in 1985 and built it up to hundreds and hundreds of machines by um, the, the early 90s. And so late 90s, actually. So I left there and I went to work for a small IT company. It was just me and the owner. And it was the worst year of my life. This guy, <laughs> he was a nice guy, but it was just me and him. And I quickly realized why wow, there was about 25 different people that worked for him over the last five years. I mean, he was really hard to work with. And it was so hard. I said, you know what? My God, I'm going to do this myself. And I, I think I just reached an epiphany. I was like, I'm tired of putting my money in other people's pockets. I'm tired of working for not a lot of money. I have these skills. I know how to do this. And I want to be the master of my own destiny. Make it live or die. Make it or not make it. It's going to be on my own efforts. And I knew how to work hard. I paid my own way through college. 
And I said, if it just takes hard work, I know I can do this. So I jumped out there with one client, literally working out of the trunk of my car. I would do anything. I would do home computers. I would do small business networks and um, got a good client. They led me to another good client and it just took off from there. So um, I think, but it was, you've seen the movie, The Right Stuff. Failure is not an option or Apollo 13, whatever that was. Failure was not an option. When you have that mindset and you dig a stake in the ground that I am not going to fail. And if it just requires working to two in the morning, you work to two in the morning, you know, and you always know what you should do as an entrepreneur to succeed. But sometimes you just don't have the wherewithal to pull it off. But I had reached a point where I was going to make the wherewithal no matter what. So that's pretty much how it happened, how it started. Yeah, both exhilaration, but also probably a little bit scary, you know, at the beginning. And I'm curious, uh, Tim, you know, in your circle of friends and, and supporters, did you get a wide range of reactions when you said, hey, I'm going to go out on my own, you know, of both support, but also people said, Tim, are you crazy? I mean, was it a mix or did you have just universal <laughs> support to go and do that? You know, it's funny. I had a few people, good friends, kind of say to me, Tim, you should start your own company because they... I have a business degree with a minor in marketing. I know how to sell, uh, but I'm also extremely technical, which is a very weird combination, I will agree. And you don't have to be a salesman to own an IT company. A lot of people think, oh, I can't do this because I can't go out and sell. That's not required. You have to sell, but you don't have to be a salesman. And I can explain that in a minute. But basically, I had a few people tell me that. I did a little bit of work on the side for somebody once, and they, they wrote the checkout to Tim Taylor Consulting. <laughs> and they said, you're going to start your own business. And I wasn't stupid about it though. I found, I got one good client lined up and then I called a friend of mine back in Memphis who actually owns an IT company as well. And I borrowed $5,000 from him. I said, his name was Jim. I said, Jim, if I can just make it for the next like six weeks or so, um, that's all I really have to have to get it off the ground. And he said, you can pay me back in a year and I paid him back in six months in cash. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, we all need that support network. It's great to hear that that was in place for you. Now, in taking on this huge challenge and starting your own business, what have been some of the biggest surprises for you on your journey along the way in doing that? Well, you know, there's being IT, being an IT person, then there's being a businessman. And they are not the same thing. I think I would probably have a, an IT company that's probably twice the size of the one I have now. if I had made some better business decisions, but at the time, it's whatever decision I made seemed right. You, you, when you make a decision, you you're typically going on the facts that you have, your experience in the past, and your gut feeling. And sometimes those facts are wrong. The, one of the biggest challenges has maybe been hiring the wrong people sometimes. Um, you know, I had a couple of guys my seventh year in business walk up and say, we're going to go out and start our own IT company. And I said, that's fine. And, and then I started getting letters from some of my clients. Hey, we're going to go with so-and-so. We're going to go with so-and-so. That was really, really hard. And if you're a business owner or any kind of a business owner, an IT business owner or any kind, that will happen to you sooner or later. You do need to have strong contracts in place. So that was a life lesson learned. I got some good contracts in place. I'm, I made sure that I kept good relationships with my clients so they knew that it was my company serving them, not an individual technician. Right. Right, right. That's a really good point. Having that uh, 
the right competitive language or non-competitive language in, in, into that, especially in such a relationship-driven uh, type of business. And uh, so, uh, so you learned a little bit. It's it's obviously a challenging environment to find the right people. Uh, over time, though, did you come up with kind of an approach that said, "Hey, this uh, it's never a hundred percent guarantee, but was more predictive of an employee's success that you could apply in your recruiting strategy." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you learn to look for things. I can interview someone, and then in about five minutes, I can tell you whether they would probably work out or not. One of the things I stopped doing. Sometimes I would have lunch with somebody and do an interview over lunch. And within the first five minutes, I realized I didn't want to hire them, but I had to sit with them for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty yeah. hard. But uh, yeah, I mean, you technical ability, but the number one thing that I look for is attitude. If they have a good attitude, I can teach them. If they want to do this work and they're pretty technical, I can teach them how to do this. Okay. It's not rocket science, even though it may look like it to outsiders. But if they have a bad attitude about work, about authority, about anything like that, that is the number one thing you have to look for. And if you have a young guy that comes in there and says, hey, where do you want to be in five years? Oh, I want to have my own IT company. I want to blah, 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 blah. Don't hire that person, okay? <laughs> because they are going to come in. You're going to teach them a lot of stuff. And they're just going to bounce out of there the minute they think they can, uh, they can do it themselves. And also, they may try to take some clients, even if you have non-competes you know, in your, in your, in your employment contracts, they may try to do it anyway, you know, and you asked me a question a second ago about surprises. One of the things that surprises surprised me early on is that sometimes clients won't pay you. You know, I always thought, you know, I do the work, here's the work I did, you know, here's your bill. And they're like, they don't want to pay it. And some things like that is things you don't expect are going to happen. And of course you never know what's going to happen with the economy. Things come and go. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of things you have to learn along the way and you really need a mentor. You need to be working with someone. You need a mentor helping you Uh, a person who's a business coach in your industry, whatever that industry is, you need to be accountable to that person, not just getting advice, but they, they need to talk to you on a regular basis and you say, Hey, you, you told me you're going to get this done by this time. You know, where is it? Okay. So you really need that accountability from someone who's been in your shoes. And, and was there someone there for you, Tim, that you found at those challenging yeah, moments? See, when I started in 99, you know, what was managed services? Nobody ever heard of it. You know, everything we did was just billed by the hour. Okay. So there was hardly any software out there. There was no PSAs. There was no RMMs. There was none of that stuff. And you basically just took a phone call. You said, I'll be there and whatever. I mean, the, not even all of my clients had internet connections, if you can even imagine that. They would they literally could not email outside the office. I took on this law firm. They had about um, 10 machines when I got there. Three years later, they had they had about 40, and I'd helped them grow their whole network. But when I came in, the only internet connection they had was the main attorney had an AOL dial-up modem in his computer. That was it. They couldn't email outside the office. That sounds unbelievable today. But that's what it was like when I first got started, you know. But I was smart enough to know that I, I needed administrative help. The second person I hired was a full-time administrator. She would answer the phone. She would schedule the technicians. She would order equipment. She would do the payroll. She would do the billing. She would do all of that. Because since I was a technician, I was able to go out and generate billable time. Okay. And it cost me money every time I was doing administrative work. And um, so I, I realized that I had to have that, that person in there. And um, yeah, hiring the right people, working hard, being honest with people, 
telling them the truth uh, about their network or about whatever. And if you make a mistake, own up to it very quickly. The quickest way to get forgiven by a client and keep that client is to admit you made a mistake if you did. Right, right. Now, you've been pretty independent as you've really grown the business over these many years. But if the Tim today could go all the way back in time, you talked a little bit about some of the learning, but if you could go back in time, time machine, Tim, you're back in 1999, what would you tell the 1999 Tim? Besides buy Amazon stock early? <laughs> uh, um, I did buy Apple stock right before the first iPhone came out. So that turned out pretty well. Um, if I'd have had more money, I'd have bought more of it, but I didn't have enough money. Um, I think the biggest thing I would say is I should have listened to some of the advice that I was given by, by other people that were in this industry uh, and taken it more directly. Um, I think I could have grown if we'd have, if we'd have gotten a PSA in sooner, if we'd have gotten to learn, learn how to use it better. If we had bought, um, some of the right tools at the right time, uh, trained my employees more, um, some of those things, I think we would be much larger than we are now and, and basically have more success and size doesn't mean necessarily mean success, but, um, you know, if you have a $5 million company instead of a two and a half million dollar company, that's. That, that is a big difference. Um, so I think listen to the advice of the people that have been down the road you're on and, and don't be afraid to ask for it and then apply it. If you get it, apply it. Um, that's the probably the biggest thing I would say. And, um, and hire the right people. You know, I, I, I just don't hire someone because you like them. Don't hire someone because you feel sorry for them. Don't hire someone um, because you, eh, they may work out, they may not. If you have any reservations, you probably shouldn't hire them. So, um, and don't hire someone because you're in a pinch. Uh, like this is a live human being. I need somebody in here. That always backfires. Yeah, yeah. Now, hiring obviously so crucial. Uh, can you talk a little bit about as you have done that hiring? Right, you've got your your five minute. Uh, criteria uh, to, to kind of know where things are going to go. But once you get the employees in, you talk a little bit about what's worked for you to really nurture, develop, and, and help them with their continuous learning to help you serve your customers better. Has there been kind of a formula about keeping uh, those employees that could grow with you? Yeah. Now, what I like to do is um, I like to hire young guys and, and, and ladies um, that have you know, a technical background, maybe they've had an IT job somewhere or they were the IT person somewhere, but they have a good attitude and they really want to learn. Okay. Those people you can bring in and you can train up, um, start them out on the help desk. They're just answering level one calls, changing passwords, things like that. And if they show some, if they're really good at it, they start getting good at it. Um, then you move them up to like a level two of this person. And then like a level one network engineer, level two network engineer, level three network engineer. And um, those are the guys that go out in the field. Those are the guys that do the servers and the, and the big jobs. Okay. And everybody that you have, they should want to move up. Okay. Now you'll have some people, this guy's an excellent help desk guy, but he likes working in the office. He doesn't want to run out in the field and, and go do this and that. Okay. Other guys don't want to be in the office. They want to be in the field. They like a little bit of freedom and, but they're running around town and it's a tough job but those people are paid more. 
And everyone knows that a level one help desk person doesn't make what a level three network engineer makes. Okay. So you need to train people. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> I heard this saying one time, it says, uh, I don't want to train my employees because they might leave. And then another guy says, well, you know, wouldn't it be worse if they weren't trained and they're still with you? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so sometimes in a small business and you just have to get used to this. If you own a small business, especially an IT company, you're going to have young people come in. They're going to learn a few skills and they want to move up and moving up means something bigger than your company. You know? Um, so you have to understand that that's going to happen, you know, and, and I used to get my feelings really hurt or whatever when people would leave and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go to work for this company over here. I'm going to work for that company. Unless they were a direct competitor. You know, I'm like, this is great. Go for it. I had a young Venezuelan guy come in here. Funniest person that's ever worked for me. He was brilliant. He was really sweet. Uh, great with the clients. They all loved him. But I, actually, he really wanted to be an engineer. And one of our clients um, was an engineering firm. And he was the guy that was usually servicing them. And so they offered him a job. And he took it, you know. So um, I have in our contract, they have to pay me a fee if they take one of my employees, even if they're not taking them as an IT person. And so they paid me the fee and, you know, they want him to kind of do some of their IT work too. So I'm hoping we can keep servicing them. But you know what? That's what he really wanted to do. Do I want to stand in the way of what someone really wants to do with their life? You know, you treat your employees fairly. They will stay with you. I've got one guy that's been with me 12 years. Okay. He has never finished college. When he walked in the door, he had maintained one small network of about 25 computers. That's all the experience he had. And now he's my le le highest level three technician. Okay. During the pandemic, you know, everybody was working remotely. He asked if he could move back to Ohio from Florida, but he's so good. And 99% of his work was done remotely anyway. I said, sure. So he actually lives up in Ohio now and works for us. Okay. So. All of his all of his work is remote, and um, but I saw he was a nice guy. He had a good attitude, and he believed in what we were doing and the way we were doing it. You know, you're going to have some employees that are going to come in. They're always going to change the way you do business, and um, I just don't. And I tell all my employees, I said I don't like whiners or complainers. If you see a problem, that's fine. Come in and tell me about it. But I want you to bring up what you think we should do to solve it at the same time. And you need to get rid of bad apples very quickly. What one or two people can sour the whole attitude in your company. So, uh, and it usually comes back to one person. And uh, there's been a few people over the years I've really enjoyed letting go. Okay, so, um, you know, it's the way it is. Yeah, yeah, that really speaks to uh, culture. And and I have talked with lots of company founders, and one consistent thing that I hear again and again is just how important but how challenging it is to really establish a distinct culture within a company that you're, you're building and growing. So, Tim, what has that been like for you? Uh, what do you think are some of the keys in really making that culture come alive and, and really help you differentiate from well, you your know, competitors? It's different. That's a good question. It's a different... Um if you have a 10 or 15 person company, it's different than if you have a 50 person company. Okay. If you have a 50 person company, you probably have somebody in that company who has the time to organize outings and to organize this and to organize that. And, you know, make sure we have a birthday party every week or, or God knows what, you know, you have, when you're larger, you have more time to do that. 
Okay. And you have more people that can help pull that off. When you're a smaller company, the employees, number one, have to respect the owner of the company. They have to respect this person. You as the owner need to work harder than everybody else. And, and I tell them, I said, I work more hours than all of you guys. And I don't expect you to work the hours that I work, but they know that I'm doing it. And you have to, they have to feel like you care about them as people. Okay. Again, this is a smaller company. You have to have more of a relationship with your employees. During COVID, I just said, look, go home and work. If you get sick, I didn't penalize anybody for getting sick. Even if I had a couple people that were out for like three weeks, they didn't have that much sick time built up, but they still got paid. I paid everybody all through the pandemic, no matter what. And um, my assistant, she just got sick. She's been, she worked from home all last week, but she was out two weeks before that, couldn't hardly do anything. She got really sick. And so, and she has some health challenges and she's been out a fair amount, but she knows that I care about her and I care about her family. And, um, you know, you've got to have kind of that family atmosphere. Now, you know, I'm not 22 anymore. You have some 19 year old kid coming here and their perspective on life and what they think is fun and everything else is totally different <laughs> than what a person like me thinks, you know? Um, so listen to the young people. I mean, help if they want to plan an outing where you all, you go play laser tag or something or, go bowling or, 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 you know, my age, they go bowling, their age, they go laser tag or play video games or God knows what, you know, I think I'm the only IT person I ever met that doesn't play video games. I, I don't want to spend that much energy on anything. I'm not making money at <laughs> And so, um, you got to have that. The, the main thing with a small business, the culture is that the employees have to know that the boss cares about them, cares about them personally. And his door is always open and they can come in and talk to him. When you get a larger company, you can do more things like outings and things like that. If you can have a nonprofit in your area that you guys all want to help support, you know, maybe give them free IT support, maybe volunteer for a fundraiser or something like that, that also helps build culture. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just all about engagement and connection. Yep. Uh, and now let's shift over to what is the lifeblood of any small growing business, and that is customer relationships. And in your space, right, you talked a little bit about um, how important the personal relationship that they form with the face of your company, um, either yourself or one of your, your techs is. How do you achieve strong customer loyalty? What do you think are the keys for that, Tim? Well, the main thing is, first of all, you got to do good work for them. Okay, you have to do good work. All right, that's number one. Like they can love you and all that stuff, and you can come by and say hi. But if you're if you're not servicing them well, they're not going to stay with you very long. Okay, they have to know that you're going to be there for them. You have to make sure you answer calls after hours. Every one of my customers has my cell phone number. Now you're not going to find many IT company owners that will give everybody their cell phone. Okay, every email I send out has got my personal cell phone number on it, and at least the owner at every company and the main office administrator has my number and they can call me if they need to. They rarely ever do. Okay. I will get a call every once in a while. Hey, what's going on with this? Da, 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 da. I said, and I always say the same thing. Let me check with my guys, find out what's going on and I'll get back with you. And whenever I check with my guys, they're always working on it and they're trying to solve it. The owner just wants to, wants it solved faster. Then I call the owner back. Hey, they're, they're making great progress. I think in an hour or so we're going to be done here. Okay. So I think one of the biggest things is the, the customers have to know that you're really there for them. 
Ultimately, an MSP should feel like they're part of that company. There are some MSPs and they have larger customers. They'll even attend their manager meetings. Okay. I had a big law firm a couple of years ago and they had a technology meeting once a month and they wanted me in that meeting, you know, and I, in fact, I led the meeting. I had to do the agenda for it. I had to write up the notes afterwards and I had to make sure that um, everything we talked about ultimately got done. So um, you also have to not be seen as an expense only. Okay. They need to know your successes. They need to know what it is you're doing for them on a regular basis. Okay. One of the things that we do is we do uh, either monthly or quarterly what are called uh, health checks. We come on site and we have a nice report that we print out. Here's your network. Here's the age of all your machines. Here's the patch level on all of them. Da, 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 da. And then we actually have the customer sign it that says, I came on site and I checked all of these things. In this world where you can do almost everything remotely, um, they need to see you. They're still human beings. Okay. They need to see someone from your company on a fairly regular basis. And then that's, that's kind of outside of VCIO meetings. Okay. You should have, you know, virtual chief information officer meetings with your customers uh, every quarter, if you can, at least twice a year. And what I do is when I sign up a new customer, I've started doing this. Um, I say, well, when do you want to have our VCIO meetings? And I schedule it right then. Okay. You can schedule it months in advance, but um, they're impressed by that. Okay. They really like that. Now, during the pandemic, it was much harder to go in and see people. And it's, you know, it's been a little harder to ramp that back up again. But um, we've had customers complain that we weren't doing some, some monthly health checks. Um, but, you know, it was during the pandemic. But now that everything's back, uh, we're starting to do them again. So the customer, you know, they write that check every month and they look at that money and they go, you know, I haven't seen these guys in so long. And I liken that to my, I had an ins- a health insurance guy one time. You sign up for health insurance. It's incredibly expensive. And I never heard from the guy again the entire year until it was time to renew. And then he calls me up. He's my best friend. Okay. I didn't hear from him one second, not even one email, not nothing. Okay. And, you know, I changed, you know, I, and I even told the guy once, I said, you know what? I found this other guy. He's great. I'm going to sign up with him. And, um, and he's like, well, I don't understand. And I said, I said, literally the only time you ever talk to me is when you, when you call me about a renewal, that's it. And, um, you know, I just said, I'm sorry, we're going somewhere else. Now, you don't want that to happen to you. You really, really don't. Okay. Um, we had a client who we use data backup systems on their network. His data was getting, um, was getting really full. And I, I had a contacted data that had got an evaluation unit that they had there that somebody had evaluated, but didn't take. And it was a big one, like a 24 terabyte one. And they were able to give it to me for almost nothing. And I called this guy up. They said, this is a $6,000 data. I can get it to you for like $1,000. And uh, I just charged that to cover our install time and everything. And it's only going to be a couple hundred dollars more per month for the backup. But if you wait until yours is full, you're going to have to get a brand new one. that's going to cost you this much. And it's, you're going to have to do that within a year. Okay. And he was all over that. You know, that's proactive support. I was doing something for them that they weren't expecting. Okay, so you, you got to do that stuff. I mean, you, you know, <clears throat> the, main, the main thing is keep that relationship with the owner of the company and the main administrator. Okay, e- even if it's, a, um, you know, ping them an email and we'll say, how's it going? How are things during the pandemic? How are this? How is that? Is there any other challenges in your business that I can help you solve? That's a great question. Okay, so keeping that relationship with the customers and, 
And by God, get ready for it. You're not going to keep every customer. I don't care what you do. And I will tell you this, the most successful customers you have and the larger customers will get bought out by other companies. Okay. So you have to get ready for that. You can have a customer you're billing 10 grand a month and suddenly they get bought out by somebody else and say, oh, we already have our own IT and we'll see you later. So you better be prepared for stuff like that because it's going to happen. And the larger they are, the more likely they are to get bought out. So that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, excellent uh, points about maintaining and building a relationship just through making that proactive effort. Now, you are obviously in the business of providing strategic advice and guidance for your customers, but I'm going to flip it around, Tim, and ask you, what is the most impactful, valuable piece of business advice you yourself have received? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think early on when I was doing all the technical work, you know, I was a lead technician for a really long time and I was just cranking away and cranking away and, you know, not burning myself out, but, you know, wearing myself out. And um, somebody came to me and said, you know, you need to be out there selling. You need to stop doing all the work yourself. You need to be out there selling your services. You're a great salesman and that's what you need to be doing. And you need to get an administrator. You, you need to get some more technicians to work with you. I'm like, I, well, I can't afford them. This was early on. Well, you can't afford to keep doing what you're doing. You know, I, I was, when I was first started, if, if I got the flu or if I was sick for a week, I didn't get paid because I wasn't out there generating any revenue. Okay. So I think just starting to look, look at your company as much bigger than it is. Okay. And what, what do you need to put in place to get to that point? All right. So um, I think that was, and I, I, over the last at least 10 or 11 years, I focused exclusively on sales. Okay. That's, and, I, and looking at new products. So if you're a really small MSP, you know, and you have to do a lot of the work yourself, fine, but you can't ignore selling. You cannot ignore that because you can have three or four good clients and you, you're making a little decent income. You think that's great. Well, what happens if two of them drop you at the same time? Okay. And then that's happened to me. I, you know, weird things happen. You know, we, we're in a building with a title company and uh, we've done, we've done their IT since 2004 and their main office for this for this title company, for this, they're part of a real estate organization. The main office for the real estate organization is two hours away, but the title company wanted us to service them because we're in the same building. And suddenly the IT department with the real estate company just swooped in and said, we're going to take over. You know, we, they've been in class since 2004. It was $4,400 a month. Boom. It's gone. Just like that. So, I mean, they gave us a 90 day notice, but, but still, you never know when something like that's going to happen. So you've got to constantly be bringing in new business. And, and that's what I would say is the, if I had to say the number one thing that we've, that we've done well and, the, and we, the reason we've survived for 23 years now and, and, and have over 2 million in sales a year is we constantly look for the next sale because you never know what's going to happen. Right. right. Yeah. Expect the unexpected. That's the reality. Now, as you look ahead in the future, Tim, what makes you optimistic? Well, I think that there's so many better technologies today than there were when I first got started. Hey, I started out on a mainframe before the PC was even invented. I was a mainframe programmer way back in the day. We're talking the green screens, all characters, you know, I mean, there's no mouse, just a keyboard. And in the old mainframes, all the characters were only uppercase. There was no upper and lower case. That's, I mean, right. that's literally yeah. how I started. Okay. And so 
I was a programmer on a mainframe and then, you know, I got into the PCs, whatever. I just think the ability to do much more and the ability to monitor our customers and maintain them with fewer staff is exciting. You know, we have like 2000 machines out there and I've got 11 staff. When I had 400 machines, I had 11 staff. Okay. So what's optimistic is that we're going to be able to do much more in the future. Uh, We are now a cybersecurity company as well as an IT company. Our clients need us more and more and more, but you know, the proof's in the pudding. You better, you better understand these tools if you're selling them and install them at customers' offices and it better do what you said it would do. Okay. So, um, I think I'm optimistic because clients need us even more than they ever have. And I remember 10, 12 years ago, somebody was saying, oh, the MSP model's dead. It's going to be dead in five years. <laughs> I always love hearing things like that. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think this industry is just going to keep growing, keep becoming more and more integral and important. And in my book, I wrote, you know, the last thing I wrote was there will always be a need for small business to outsource IT. Always, always, always. That's never going to go away. No matter what happens with IT, that's never going to go away because they aren't big enough to hire their own staff. They need you. They need to outsource their IT. And even larger companies are starting to do it because they realize that we can do it better. And it's hard to keep a, a, a keep a IT department staffed and trained. So as we start wrapping up our conversation, Tim, do you have any other final advice for young companies that are looking to achieve sustainable growth? Yeah, I think the main thing is um, you've got to focus on sales and marketing. Okay, you really do. You talk about growth. If you don't focus on reaching out and having people know who you are, you're not going to grow. Yes, you have to have a great product. Yes, you have to have great people to run that product, to to make that product work. Yes, you have to have um, all these other things. But if nobody knows who you are, you're swinging in the wind. You're never going to get business. Okay, business, people don't just knock on your door. Now, you've got to have the SEO. You've got to have marketing out there. You've got to have salespeople that can run out in the field at any time. And you as a business owner need to be the number one salesman in the company. Companies love it when you show up as the business owner, as the salesman. They love that because they know they're talking to the man. Okay, so you can't just sit back and hire salespeople and never go out and sell yourself. You just can't do it. Now, if you have a really big company, sure, you can do that. But if you don't have a really big company, that's just not going to happen. And focus on the future. Focus on get into cybersecurity. Get into, you know, the, the newest things that are coming down the road. At least look at them. Don't fall for every new product that comes out. The mistake I see some MSP owners is they buy every new product. And then they don't have time to work them. Okay? So buy the ones that you're starting to see a real need for. And your customers are saying, hey, I need this. Or, hey, I need that. Okay, be constantly kind of out there looking and on the edge and just look at every day as a challenge, man. You know, there's going to be good. There's going to be bad. You know, it's like driving down a country road. Sometimes you go up, sometimes you go down, but you're still moving forward. Okay, and you just have to have that attitude that, my God, I'll just wake up tomorrow and I'll just keep doing this. And, you know, if you try to get a big sale and it doesn't work out, you get disappointed for five minutes. But, you know, you think, well, you know, three months ago, I never even heard of these people. The best salespeople are the ones that can handle rejection the best because they don't get demotivated. Okay. So if you want to focus on growing your company, then you got to focus on growing your company. Okay. It doesn't just happen by itself. So 
that's what I would say. Um, that's what's worked for us. And we've succeeded now for 23 years and, you know, we're, we're not looking back. Always be moving forward. I love it. Well, Tim, thanks again for joining, sharing your journey and success in starting and running just a very, very successful and growing IT company. Really appreciate the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. If I can help anyone, I wrote a book a few years ago called How to Start and Run a Successful IT Company because I saw a need for that. Nobody had written that book. It's on Amazon or you can hit timtaylorconsulting.com. And I've been asked by some smaller MSPs to help them. So I do a little consulting practice on the side. So anybody listening to this, reach out to me at timtaylorconsulting.com and I'd love to help you out. Fantastic. And a reminder to everyone to please continue to give us the gift of feedback on what you like about this podcast. You can go out, rate, and review. It really does help get more awareness and more listeners into the podcast. You can do that on all the major podcast platforms that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.